0: art of the kickstart episode 96 welcome to the art of the kickstart.com where entrepreneurs are constantly pushing the envelope to build businesses of greatness and inventors are innovating and creating the products of the future and backers stand strong for what they believe these are some of the great thinkers inventors and leaders of our time here are their stories Today's Art of the Kickstart podcast is brought to you guys by efulfillmentservice.com. I'll tell you more about them later, but they're absolutely awesome. Guys, launching a Kickstarter campaign isn't exactly easy. That's why the majority of Kickstarters fail, despite how hard enters work. I put together a free six-step email mini course to try to eradicate this evil issue and help inventors and entrepreneurs everywhere. If you guys go to artofthekickstart.com slash checklist, you can get the new and improved six-step guide that's going to walk you step-by-step step through making your Kickstarter, your crowdfunding campaign happen. Check it out, artofthekickstart.com slash checklist, and make your crowdfunding dreams happen. Guys, welcome to Art of the Kickstart. Today, we've got an awesome product inventor on. Ryan Frain, the founder of Windcatcher, is crushing it. He's had two killer Kickstarter campaigns, over 200,000. Thanks for coming on today, Ryan. Thanks, man. appreciate it. Uh, you asking me on. Oh, I appreciate you having, you finally coming on. You've been so busy. Oh, wow. I sound like a dick. Let's restart that. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I sound like such a dick. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it like that. Uh, no. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't take it like that. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, well, guys, Ryan is on and he has been busy building a business. He has two Kickstarters out there, Airpack and Windcatcher, over $200,000. But before we go into the business, we always start life quote, success quote. What do you got, Ryan? <laughs> oh, I. <laughs> you want a life quote or
1: success quote for me? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not really a, a quotable type of person. You know, I once told somebody that, you know, there's plenty of crappy jobs out there, but you only have one life, so you might as well make, you know, the most of it. That's really the only sort of quotable thing I've got.
0: I think that's pretty good anyways. You do only get one life. If you F this one up, I don't think we get another game of Monopoly. Yeah. So... So Ryan, you're doing this, and you're a product guy. You had a business before this where you were essentially creating pretty cool, innovative little inventions. How does someone get into something like that?
1: Yeah, and actually, uh, when I was creating those inventions, it wasn't really a job. I mean, at least one that was uh, paying. I still had to have these part-time jobs at, you know, places I just didn't, you know, jobs I didn't enjoy doing, like, you know, Xbox call center job, that kind of thing, or working at Hertz, and basically all those jobs were Pretty terrible. But in my spare time, I would work on these inventions in the hopes that one of these ideas would sort of break out and be successful and allow me to start my own company in the same way that uh, Windcatcher has.
0: Yeah, it absolutely nailed it. Do you think a lot of people are in that similar scenario? They're just getting through those shitty day jobs so they can get home and create something amazing?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, people sort of, you know, you got to have that income, you have to pay, you know, rents and all the other stuff. And so, For the most part, you don't get lucky right out of the gate. It takes a lot of trial and error. And so you're going to have plenty of products or ideas. Sometimes it's not even a product idea. Maybe it's just a business idea that you have. And sometimes they don't pan out. You know, oftentimes the first couple won't pan out. And so you just have to sort of keep at it.
0: What did you learn from those first couple ideas, those first couple products that didn't quite make it, that you pushed forward with for Kickstarters?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing I learned was it's almost impossible to go to product, uh, go to uh, market with a product, in terms of coming out with an idea and then going through the the establishment, the companies that already exist, and trying to license your idea to them. Because if they don't feel the pressure to partner with you, because you've done a Kickstarter, because you know they feel the threat that you're actually going to become a company, then they'll just sort of ignore you, because they don't want to license your technology if they can avoid it, because that's just an additional cost for them. And so that's sort of why when I came up with Windcatcher, it was really the first consumer product that I invented. The other stuff is like product packaging related and just stuff that you couldn't put on Kickstarter. And so this one was very Kickstarter possible. And so, you know, I knew pretty early on, especially since my brother had done some successful Kickstarters, that that was a route I was going to take. And actually, initially, we were going to do the Kickstarter, make it a big success and get the attention of the people uh, in the industry and then license it. But I sort of f- <laughs> fell in love with my own product and didn't really want to give up, you know, 100% of those rights. And so we sort of will be making the product ourselves. And we've also done some
0: licensing as well. Uh, go into licensing, IP, that kind of stuff. Cause that's what inventors yeah. struggle with. That's what I'm struggling with. When do you need IP? What can you do with it? And when's it make sense to go to big companies? When should you build it on ground?
1: Yeah, I would say um, it's all, and it almost never makes sense to go to big companies. Not anymore. Now that you have Kickstarter, it makes a lot more sense for you to put the product on Kickstarter first. And then if you want to go the licensing route because, you know, you have companies approaching you, then maybe you still have that option. But I would never go the licensing route first. You don't, you don't have any leverage, basically, without Kickstarter. And Kickstarter gives you the leverage that you need. But in terms of, like, intellectual property, I mean, it depends on your product. You know, every product is different. Sometimes you just need a provisional patent application. Most of the times, that's all you need. And you have, you know, just something basic that's going to protect you. Maybe if you plan on manufacturing in China, I recommend filing your trademark in China first as well, because otherwise there's lots of people that sort of they run through. People in China will just basically look through Kickstarter for great ideas. And if something's very successful because of the laws in China, someone can file a trademark. And then if you want it manufactured, you have to pay them or buy them out. And this actually happens quite often.
0: Really? I did not know that. I'm working with the Chinese manufacturer now. Go a little bit deeper into that, because I know I didn't know yeah. that. I'm sure a ton of inventors don't.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't know that either. We launched our Kickstarter, and I didn't file any trademarks. And it's not just true of China. It's true of other countries as well. We're having issues in Germany right now because of that. But in China specifically, it's a problem because lots of people want to have their product manufactured. And I didn't know about this until we talked with a potential licensee, American Rack they wanted to license our technology for their their various products and they happened to mention to me that they had a, they've had a brand name that's you know really successful and it's been out for a long time and a lot of companies just never decide to trademark stuff in China and they were one of these companies and then sort of out of the blue somebody else sort of exploited that idea in China and, and uh, trademarked their name and because there's no common law and trademark in the in China common law just means that in the U.S., you can create a name and use it in the course of business, and it's already trademarked. It doesn't give you as much strength as registering it, but at least you have it. So no one could go behind your back if you had a successful Kickstarter, for example, for us, and trademark the name windcatcher and prevent us from using it in the U.S. China isn't like that. It's just first to file for trademark, and there's no sort of prior art, or They don't take any of that into consideration. So it, it's, it's almost set up. It's almost gamed in a way where... People in China can sort of screw you over, and that's what happened with American REC. They had to sort of acquire this company for a significant amount of money just so they could continue manufacturing in China and putting the trademark on there. Because you can manufacture in China and then ship your product to Taiwan and then add your trademark in Taiwan and then send it to the rest of the world. But that's a huge headache. And so most of the time, you just sort of give in and, you know, it's sort of Black pay mouth. the back.
0: Yeah. 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 Oh, that sucks. I had no idea this interview was going to go that way. But guys, I hope you're listening to that. But anyways, let's get into you, into the business yeah. a little bit. It seems like you've got some pretty cool ideas floating around in your head. Windcatcher, take us back.
1: Uh, Yeah. You mean just from the beginning when we started and everything?
0: Yeah. When did you begin? How long did it take? Talk it over.
1: Sure, sure. So, I mean, I've, I've been working on Kickstarter or Windcatcher for quite a while, even before a Kickstarter back in. So with a lot of inventing, you sort of identify a problem that needs solving. And then it takes a long time to actually find a, a decent solution. And so I identified the problem back in December 2011. And that was just me on the beach with my family trying to inflate those really crummy PVC uh, pool toy things so we could lay on them and you know use them at the beach. And I gave up really quick because it was just obvious that it wasn't worth it. And the rest of my family just kept on inflating these little pool rafts and just watching them struggle made me realize, you know, all the problems associated with these inflatable products, not just the inflation but, you know, the sanitation, we'd have these valves in our mouths and despite the fact that we're all over in the ground or in, you know, a fellow family member's mouth and you know, that kind of grossed me out, and the fact that if we got these things inflated, we were going to be at this place for like a week, and we would have to deflate them and reinflate them over and over again for the week or what we ended up doing was paying the hotel to inflate these things for us. And then we had to keep the damn things inflated for the entire week we were there, which obviously takes extra space up in your hotel and everything. It's just a huge hassle. And it's not just these pool toys, of course. It's travel pillows, camping pads. It's all inflatables. And so when I got back to Portland, uh, I started working on this idea. And through uh, significant, you know, lots of trial and error, I came up with uh, Windcatcher
0: which just seems like a magic technology. I remember when I first saw the video and I was I was blown away. Good work on that, Ryan. I am impressed. Thanks. Do you think inventors have to be like that? They have to have that almost cynical attitude towards products where they're looking for issues that they have at all times? Yeah, I
1: mean, <laughs> I guess it is cynical. I don't know. I didn't I mean
0: that. to I didn't mean to come off like that, but it's just <laughs> like that Steve Jobs-esque. This kind of sucks. How do I make it Yeah, back?
1: I mean, exactly. You can't be satisfied with the status quo just because it 's always been that way, and a lot of times people actually ask me, you know how on earth did you create this product? this is what people ask me how on earth did you create this and these other people these other you know companies uh, didn't come up with the idea at first and i, I didn't have a, an answer for a long time, but I think it's just because sometimes these companies are focused on other aspects of their business and so they weren't even attempting to m- uh, improve inflation as part of the it's weird because they're inflatable products. You think that would be the most important competitive factor. But they just completely ignored it and they worked on other things like materials and costs and things like that. And, you know, I'm no different than anybody else. I just happened to, you know, sort of become obsessed with this problem and, you know, spent enough time trying to figure it out
0: and just got lucky. You only innovate when you're on the outside. The big companies just make things yeah. slightly better over time.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because right. they don't need to invent something that's great. you are making sw- money already. Exactly. When you're a small person, you have to have a breakthrough technology. Otherwise,
0: no one's going to care about you. How breakthrough does it need to be? That's one thing. Like, let's say there's competitors on the market. You need to beat them. It can't just be marginally better. How did you test your product before Kickstarter to make sure there would be the audience you needed?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it starts with uh, the problem that you've identified and whether or not it's going to be, you know, is it a significant problem or is it just something that maybe you only care about? So, I mean, the first step I always take is, you know, just asking friends and family if they felt the same way about the the product. And if they, if, you know, it's a general consensus, and that was certainly the case with inflatables, that inflatable products were a huge pain to inflate, then I knew if if I could find a solution that was, you know, really good and compelling, then it would be a home run. It doesn't always work out that you find a solution to these problems. I have a huge list of problems that I've written down that I haven't found a decent enough solution for yet. But along those same lines... It's not enough just to come up with an okay solution. I mean, my first idea for wind catcher to solve this inflatable problem was basically a garbage bag with a one-way valve, kind of like what the wind catcher has, which you would take and whip it around the air to fill this bag. And then you'd roll it up and squeeze the air into the thing you want to inflate. And it turns out there were actually people, it turns out this invention has been around since the 1940s. It's called basically a bag pump, but it's a terrible product. And it's terrible if you actually try to use it. You see why it's terrible, because you have to do this over and over and over for a product. You basically are just transferring one problem for another problem.
0: And if you're indoors, it's just got off. Yeah,
1: yeah it, it's, there's all kinds of bad reasons. But a lot, of, a lot of people, my point is that a lot of these other inventors just stopped right there. They came up with this bag pump. And even though it existed in the 1940s, they make a slight improvement to the bag pump idea. And so there's a whole bunch of patents for bag pumps. But they're just not a good solution. And I'm certain that if these same inventors would have just accepted that that was a bad idea and kept trying, they would have came up with Windcatcher because there was no magic to what I came up with. I mean, I just sort of stumbled upon entrainment and did a bunch of research. Um, I mean, anyone could have done this. It just happens that I was fortunate enough to do it.
0: Devil's advocate. How do you not make too good of a product? Because when you just keep focusing on features, making it better, making it better, eventually you never release, it gets excessive, it's over-engineered.
1: Well, that's an excellent point. I mean, we almost did the same thing with, with Windcatcher. And we just sort of had to accept the fact that, you know, I like to always think the first iPhone, when you look at it compared to the new iPhones, the first iPhone was a total piece of garbage. I mean, people don't remember, but that thing couldn't even send you know, pictures and text. I mean, it was just, it was junk. But when you have the product at the time, you release the best thing you can do at that time. And you can always improve it. And so I figure if a company like Apple can't get, you know, it perfect the first time, or even someone in an adventure like Elon Musk comes up with the, you know, the Tesla Roadster, which is crap compared to the Tesla Model S, you know, even though it costs less, but this is just the natural process of developing a product. I mean, we came up with the AirPad too, and it's significantly better than the first AirPad. And it's not because, you know, we were intentionally holding things back. We just didn't have, first of all, we didn't have the resources at that time, but we also didn't have the ideas of, for improvement. I mean, you're going to get that kind of stuff from Kickstarter, which is one of the things that's great about Kickstarter.
0: That is probably the most powerful thing, that and then getting your brand ambassadors that share it around. And then uh-huh. holding product ideas back, I'm pretty sure Apple does that. Not gonna, Not going to yeah. say that. For a fact, well, but pretty darn sure.
1: Yeah, maybe I don't know. I mean, I used to feel the same way, but then we did our, you know, Kickstarter and we did our AirPad, and we honestly we didn't hold anything back because I don't really f- see a benefit to doing that because I don't really care whether they buy the first AirPad or the second AirPad. They're still buying our product, and I feel like maybe Apple's the same way. But truly, regardless of the size of your company, sometimes you just you can't make what you want to make in the time frame allotted, so you have to sort of push you know, features until the second version. I mean, I already have ideas for the AirPad 3 that I would have loved to incorporate in the second, but if you do that, you're never going to release anything, like
0: you said. Why didn't you kickstart the second one?
1: We sort of did. I mean, the second one was part of the AirPack. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to just do the the Windcatcher AirPad 2 as a Kickstarter because I felt like we had already sort of gotten the hype that we sort of deserve from Kickstarter. I didn't want to just continue to... To sort of exploit the, the Kickstarter model. I don't think it's it's fair to just release a second iteration or third iteration. If it was a significantly better change, like you know a radical breakthrough, then I'd do it. And we have some radical breakthroughs in mind for future products. But yeah, I felt like the Pack was more appropriate. And we sold the AirPad 2. It's just like a product we also sell since they kind of work together. And, and I'm going to do the same thing for this other thing. I will always have the AirPad 2 on there on Kickstarter. But there has to be some other more you know, new idea in order to justify a Kickstarter, in my opinion.
0: Okay, that's interesting. A lot of people just like the Kickstarter over and over model, but they don't have the more kind of pure mindset of the inventor. They're building it as a business, just pure and straight.
1: Yeah, oh. and I'm not, I'm not knocking anyone for how they do it. It's just I didn't think it was appropriate for us.
0: Okay. I want to jump now into the launch round. How does that sound, Ryan? Sure. Have you ever wrapped up a thousand rewards and shipped them out to your backers when you're pressed for time? It is no fun. Trust me. If you're thinking about running a Kickstarter campaign and you're going to make it big, artofthekickstart.com EFS for your crowdfunding fulfillment. It'll help you make it that much easier. Welcome to the launch round, where we take our guests through a series of rapid fire questions geared towards unlocking the inner inventor and entrepreneur in all of us. Get ready to blast off and unlock your inner potential Let's do this. So Ryan, first question for you. Who do you look up to as an entrepreneur, inventor, or businessman?
1: Uh, I mean, there are a lot of people. I don't really look up to any one person because you can find flaws in anybody. But there are specific attributes that people have, you know, certainly Steve Jobs and the way that he presents or the way he used to present uh, information at those keynotes that he would give. You know, that's the kind of thing that I think lots of people want to aspire to. And you know, and uh, Steve Jobs again. You know his unwillingness to accept sort of inferior ideas, sort of pushing people that he works with to to come out with the, the best thing possible. So I admire him. Obviously, you know Thomas Edison has done a lot of great stuff, and he really, as far as I as far as I know, he's the first person to really set up a system for inventing so that you could continue to invent on a continuing basis. And I honestly feel like. Uh, from all the companies I've talked with, at least nobody seems to have a research and development team that is comparable to what uh, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison set up. He may have not have invented everything, but the system he put in place. I mean, he was able to turn out you know products that were built army. But yeah, they were phenomenal. I mean, you you normally don't you're not able to invent the phonograph and you know the light bulb. And all these other things. Normally, you just you find something and you just run with that. So I really admire the fact that he continued to push, despite the fact he could have just sat back and, you know, he would have had plenty of money from just the inventions early on in his career. He didn't really have to push after that, but he, he did. And I think that's pretty impressive.
0: That is pretty impressive. That always look into the next thing. Yeah. And my question now for you, let's say that you would never done Windcatcher. you would never mm-hmm. had a big product hit. But yeah. you had a big-time budget. What kind of problem would you want to solve?
1: Oh, man, that's a good question. You know, there are lots of problems I'd like to try and solve at some point. Just the one I was thinking of recently, so this is just the one that's on the top of my head, is education. I didn't really like school uh, the way I think I could have, or at least uh, the majority of my classes. And I, I don't really feel like the way college is set up is uh, appropriate for you know, society today. Uh, I think they're sort of just using an old model because they've been using it forever. And so I'd love to sort of create curriculum for kids starting from, you know, elementary school and then another curriculum for middle school and then high school where they sort of do this whole Kickstarter thing where they bring a product to market. I mean, kids come up with great ideas all the time. And if they just had a little bit of help, I'm sure they'd come up with fantastic products and be able to bring these products to market. I mean, you may remember what you were like when you were a kid. You have all this energy and enthusiasm, and and plus you have your parents paying for rent and stuff, so you have all this free time. It's really a perfect time to be inventing. And I feel like having that type of curriculum would be beneficial to you know these kids, but also the entire world.
0: Absolutely, we had uh, Lily and Joe Bourne on here, the Kangaroo Cup guys, and Lily's tiny little girl invented an amazing product, and they've kickstarted it. They're crushing it. And I That's think that kids have such amazing ideas if you really yeah. unlock them.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: So what's your favorite Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign of all time?
1: <laughs> I mean, ours. <laughs> the wind catcher. No, um, uh, my brother's done a couple Kickstarters that I've admired. And so uh, he did the L3D Cube recently, and I admire that that raised a lot more money than really anyone including myself expected to raise. Oh, that was a lot, yeah. But I mean, you know, I've, I've backed a couple Kickstarters. I mean, I'm I'm wearing this uh, beanie on my head right now from the Ricefield Collective. They did a really interesting Kickstarter. I don't know. I don't, have any, I don't really have any favorites. I kind of like. There are some that I go look at and go, oh, God, I wish they weren't on Kickstarter because they're sort of dragging everyone else down. But I mean, yeah, there's amazing things on Kickstarter every day. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost hard to drag yourself away from Kickstarter sometimes because it's just, you know, it's like the internet in general. You find one thing one thing interesting, and then that leads to something else. And before you know it, you spend four hours sitting in front of your computer just running through you know Kickstarter videos.
0: And every page, people put like their heart and soul, and there's an incredible yeah. story, and you just get locked in. Yeah, you got to escape somehow. You got to go build something. That's what you're yeah. doing.
1: and and that, those are the ones I love the most. I mean, I back products you know that I, I personally don't even fully understand, like this recent one for this this DNA uh, synthesizing thing where. You can sort of do DNA type work or genetic type work. See, I don't even understand how to explain it. But, I, but this company or this, this Kickstarter, I don't know, it was just something about the way they put together their video and what they were trying to accomplish that I was really happy to find that they you know, found that they were able to, to hit their goal and, and move forward with this product. And that's the case with, with tons of these things. You may not find a product that's right for you. But you still see like a, a great need for it. And the the fact that you can actually contribute in some small way, if not money, then, you know, telling all your friends and family your fans about it. I don't know. It's awesome. I love Kickstarter.
0: And that's something that big companies will never have. They'll never have that cool startup focus where people no. love them. Last yeah. question. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: No, no, I was going to say I completely agree with you. You'll never get these big companies like some of these licensees we talked with were like, hey, maybe we'll partner with you. And we'll put a product on Kickstarter, and like, well, I don't think that's going to work out for you guys, but you can
0: try it. Apparently, uh, what's his name, Warren Buffett's got a product up on there, Berkshire Hathaway. But that's a, that's another story. Okay. <laughs> so, so last question: business yeah. books, life books. What do you like? What would you want to recommend?
1: Sure. You know, my company's name, or the first company I had, uh, Oceanic Innovation, is actually named after the book Blue Ocean Strategy, and the book basically talks about how. You don't want to create a product, or they're not really just talking about products, but business ideas as well, that forces you to compete with other people. Instead, you want to find a competitive factor that no one is exploiting for whatever reason and create a product based on that competitive factor. And so that's what we've done with Windcatcher, you know, with inflation. Again, it sounds weird, but that wasn't a competitive factor for the inflatable products market at the time. And we've sort of changed that uh, with Windcatcher. With the first invention I had, it was a fishing hook attaching to a line without tying any knots. And so, I mean, this book really, I actually, it's funny. I, I, this book was recommended to me through a Nintendo. I'm a big fan of video Uh uh game. And their president at the time was really big into this book. And that sort of led them to develop the Nintendo Wii. uh, And that was obviously successful for, for Nintendo. And so, I mean, from a product standpoint or business standpoint, there's a, frankly there is a lot of bull crap in this book just to you know be warned but I think the core ideas are are viable and I think it's worth a read if for nothing else it gives you a lot of examples of great products and what they sort of did to to be great and really break out
0: and I think that's what we're all looking for just a few little strategies from the big guys to create something awesome Yeah let's jump back to you guys back to wind catcher okay. we need to start wrapping up but before we do your business is clearly, Kickstarter a launching pad. It's not the end, yeah. it's the beginning. What's sure. happening now for you guys? How are you going forward with growing the business? Retail, e-commerce, what are you guys doing? Share some strategies for people that are trying to build the business after Kickstarter.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so like I said before, you know, our strategy originally was just to get a bunch of attention, do the Kickstarter, and then partner with a company like Cascade Designs or somebody that already made Airpads, and then license the technology to them. Our focus has now changed because I want to use the technology for lots of products rather than just give it away to some company and have them sort of mess things up. And so we had to shift gears in 2014 to releasing other products. And it's not as simple as you would think because, well, first of all, Kickstarter is not going to give you enough money to continue to buy inventory in the way that you would need to if you want to sell to retailers. So, for example, a retailer will want to buy, let's say, 5,000 units. You typically won't have enough money for 5,000 units. so right now actually it just happened. I sent over a business plan to Wells Fargo so I can get a business loan from them so that I can start to buy the type of inventory that I need to have on hand to, to partner with these retailers. and then that's our next step. I mean that's what's happening in 2015 is we'll be going to online and of course brick and mortar uh, retail shops this year and and I'm pretty excited about that because this will be the real the real test to see if Windcatcher is viable for the, the mass market
0: why alone why not angel you know we,
1: we contemplated that you know frankly after the first Kickstarter we ran out of money and so there were a couple weeks or months where we were we, uh, it was we were hard pressed for money but uh, we signed a licensing deal with a third party for the rights for Canada and that gave us enough money that we didn't need to go the, the sort of angel fund uh, route. And I also don't like people sort of interfering with what I do or asking for updates. I'm very particular about like just little things like that. And so I was advised that going that route wouldn't be the best course of action for someone with my personality.
0: Good choice. I think people always need to look at that. And yeah. then last question. You've been awesome, Ryan. You've got to get back to taking over the world. What I yeah. want to know, one piece of advice, one thing, story, quote, anything that you want, share it with people, something that's going to change their life. No uh, pressure. I hope- Yeah, I was gonna say that's a bit of a that's a lot of pressure.
1: You know, I've I've said this before, but I think it's worth repeating. If you have an idea and you're contemplating putting it on Kickstarter, don't think about it. Just do it. I mean, Kickstarter lets you do something that wasn't possible before, which is put something out there with minimal risk. I mean, you don't have to find $150,000 for the initial tooling cost for your product. You just need to set a goal of $150,000, and if you hit that, now you can start your company. So I feel like there are a lot of people who are sort of hesitant or cautious to do Kickstarter, and I don't think they really need to be cautious. The, the system is set up in a way where if you're, as long as you're, you're honest, and you, know, you actually do an analysis on what the thing's going to cost you, there's really nothing to be afraid of. And so just do it. I mean, just put it out on Kickstarter. Uh, stop waiting.
0: Absolutely. Quit listening to this podcast. The podcast sucks anyways. Go make <laughs> something incredible, guys. That's the, that's the takeaway from this. Thank you so much for coming on today, Ryan. You've been a sick guest. Where's the best place for people to reach out, talk to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can uh, always shoot me an email, info at windcatchergear.com, or you can find out more information about us at windcatchergear.com.
0: Guys, go check it out. Check out the Kickstarter video. It's a cool little piece of magic, and it makes inflating stuff so much easier. Thanks for coming on today, Ryan. You've been a cool guest. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hey guys, I'm your host, Matt Ward, and I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Art of the Kickstart, where we believe inventors, innovators, and entrepreneurs are changing the world and bringing humanity forward into the future. If you like the ideas in this episode, or you're interested in learning more about crowdfunding and how to kill it with your own Kickstarter campaign, you can check out more at www.artofthekickstart.com. And if you've been listening to the show, love the episodes, but you're not subscribed, that's got to change. You can go to ArtOfTheKickstart.com slash iTunes or slash Stitcher and get the episodes delivered magically to your phone. And if you like the show, I would love you forever if you leave a review on iTunes. It helps more aspiring inventors and creators out there find the show and find the information they need to kill it on Kickstarter. Until next time, thanks for tuning in, guys, and have an absolutely epic day.